I'm starting a series today for several Sundays, I'm not sure how long, on uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, There's a branch of study called eschatology. Eschaton is a Greek word that means end or final, uh, the final age. And so we'll be thinking the next few Sundays about the end of the age, the end of this world, you might say, this world system. And uh, the Bible is filled with passages. It says, now the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so uh, all through the Bible, there is an anticipation of something that's coming. And for centuries, people have groaned and wondered and have said, uh, the world ought not to be like this. There ought to be a, a world where there's peace and where there's joy and where there's love. And there ought to be a, a, a place where, where God reigns and rules. And that's, that was the plan from the very beginning. Uh, if we were to go back before time, there was only God in a triune Godhead having perfect, wonderful, loving fellowship with one another. But God determined that he was going to show forth his greatness, his power, his attributes, those things that are essential part of who God is. So one way he did that was he spoke a world into existence. And that demonstrated his power for sure demonstrated his greatness, his strength, his ability, his creativity, and he just spoke, said, let there be, and there was everything that he made. But he had other qualities he also wanted to demonstrate. And uh, some of those qualities are kind of opposite qualities. He wanted to show that he is a God of justice and a God who cannot tolerate evil and that he's a God who actually will pour out wrath on those who reject him and, uh, and sin against him. But he also wanted to show that he was merciful and that he was kind and gracious. And, and so the whole human experiment or ordeal was the way God was going to do that. And from before the beginning of time... God had purposed that the son would have a bride and that bride would be a redeemed people that had been purchased with the very blood of Jesus himself. We even see it kind of prefigured in the creation of the first man and woman. God created Adam and he was the first Adam. Jesus is called the last Adam, the second Adam. And Adam went to sleep. Now, we don't know if he was asleep for three days and three nights or not, but he, it was like he entered into a place of death or sleep. And from Adam's side, God wounded Adam in the side. And from that wounded side, he created a bride. For Adam. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And you say, I wonder why God did it that way. He made Adam out of 
dirt. Some of you ladies already knew that. But, uh, but then he made, he made the, the woman from a bone in the man's side. Like it was the first issue of Boney and Claude. Uh, <clears throat> you have to think about that in a minute. And uh, you say, well, why, why did he do that? Why did he do it that way? Because he was teaching us something from the very beginning. And he's teaching us many things, actually, in that passage. But one of the things he was teaching was that Jesus would someday have a bride. And it would be a bride who came from his wounded side. And that there would be a bride that Jesus died for. And so then if we could fast forward to beyond time, we would see there's a wedding supper. The marriage supper of the sacrificed lamb of God. And the bride is presented to him there at this marvelous wedding feast. So, so the story of the Bible is moving always toward that. A time when God's kingdom will come. And when Jesus taught us to pray, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, this is how you're to pray. First of all, you hallow the name of God. You, you exalt his name. You say his name is holy. And then the very first words out of your mouth after you've hallowed the name of God is, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then you close that prayer with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So God determined that there would be a kingdom, his kingdom, here on earth. Now, he created Adam and Eve, and we know that they did not establish the kingdom. In fact, they rebelled against the king. They sinned against him, and they were exiled. They were sent out of the garden. And then the rest of the story of the Bible is prefiguring a day when from all the nations of the world, there will be redeemed people who make up the church, which is the bride of Jesus Christ. And we see it all the way through Genesis and Exodus. Every sacrifice, every, every uh, uh, ritual, everything was symbolic of that day when God's kingdom would come. The kingdom will come. The kingdom will come. And everybody thought maybe it would be in their lifetime. And, uh, and God chose a man named Abraham, Abram, and he was later named Abraham. And he said, now to your descendants, I'm going to give blessing for the whole world. And all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. But Abraham didn't follow up. He, did, he failed also. And Moses, David, all of them. They all fail. And then the prophets come along. And all these prophets, they talk about the coming kingdom. There's a day coming when our Messiah will come. The one that we put all our hopes in. The only problem is they seem to have painted two pictures of the Messiah. There was one picture of the main picture was him as a reigning king. That he would come riding on a white horse and have a sword in his hand and, and, and he would conquer and, and he would defeat all the enemies of God and he would establish his kingdom here on this earth. But then there were other pictures of that Messiah 
that indicated that he was going to be a suffering servant and that somehow or another he would actually be put to death and rise from the dead. And they couldn't figure those things out. I mean, you know, the Bible tells over in 1 Peter that, that even the angels were confused by all this. They were like they were standing on tiptoe trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And I can only imagine when Jesus was being crucified, there were legions of angels. No doubt there were legions of angels with drawn sword just waiting for the command or permission to go and rescue him. But Jesus said, no, it's for this purpose that I've come into the world. And all through the gospel of Mark until this time, we've been hearing talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And you know what the kingdom of God is? It's when God rules on this earth. Now, here's a strange thing. Jesus said on one occasion, the kingdom of God is here. It's already here. And another time, he said, the kingdom of God is within you, speaking to those who had put their trust in him. But then other times, he would talk about the kingdom is coming. And I'm telling you right now, every true believer on this planet, the kingdom is present in their heart right now because the king is present. They, though, whoever calls Jesus Lord, Master, authoritative king, they are a part of his kingdom. But that's not the whole kingdom. We have the present kingdom, but then there's the coming kingdom. We have the present rule of Christ in the hearts of his people, but there is coming a day, and all the prophets speak of this, there is coming a day when the glory of God will cover the whole earth like waters cover the sea. And so this was the confusing to, and it's confusing to a lot of people today. When you talk about the return of Christ, you talk about end times things, man, you've just got, I started to say a dozen, there's probably 50 different ideas and concepts about the second coming. And uh, they can't all be right. They could all be wrong, but they can't all be right. My understanding of the second coming is what we'd normally think of as the pre-millennial, pre-tribulation <laughs> uh, coming of the kingdom. That is that there will come a day when Christ will take his bride out of the, off of the planet. There will be a rapture, we call that word. People say, well, that word's not in the Bible. No, it's not, but neither is the word grandfather. But we know I am one. And, uh, but the idea is that Jesus will catch away, snatch away, grab away, whatever you want to call it, those who have put their trust in him, and they'll be with the Lord. We will be with the Lord. But that's not the end of the world. That's not the end of, of human history even. Then there's at least seven more years in which there will be a, a conversion of Israel to faith in Jesus. And multitudes of Jewish people will not only believe in Jesus as their Messiah and Savior, but they will become uh, like the Apostle Paul. They will be preaching the kingdom all over the world. And many people 
will come to faith in Christ. But at the same time, there rises to power a, a, a world leader. And we call him the Antichrist, the beast, he's called in the book of Revelation. Uh, uh, man of sin, the son of perdition, he's called other names. But he will try to establish a worldwide authoritative rule that will be his kingdom. And he will have what the Bible refers to as a false prophet who is a religious leader. This man is the political leader. And then there's a religious leader that actually helps enforce all of this man's authority and plans. And there'll be an, a, he'll make a, a, an agreement with Israel. He will actually sign a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. But in the middle of that seven years, he violently breaks that treaty. And he invades Israel and seeks to totally wipe out the entire Jewish population and also the entire believing population that have believed through the witness and testimony of those Jewish believers. And for three and a half years, there will be on this earth what's called the Great Tribulation. Now, Jesus taught us that in this world, we're going to have tribulation. So there is a sense of tribulation going on all the time to one degree or another. But nothing like it will be in that last three and a half years. And then at the end of that three and a half years, at the end of the seven years total, Christ himself will come back. And he will come back to execute justice and judgment on those who have rejected him and despised him. He will pronounce judgment upon the beast and upon the false prophet and upon Satan himself. And Satan will be bound for a thousand years and for one thousand years. Life on this planet will be without the tempter, will be without Satan sowing his lies and doing his worst. And then at the end of that thousand years, there will be a brief rebellion. Christ will uh, put an end to that, and then we move into the eternal state. Now, that's just a real, real, very brief outline. But the disciples in Jesus' time were also very interested in what was going to happen in the future. And uh, so in Mark chapter 13, Jesus has been in the city of Jerusalem for a couple of days during the day, and they're getting ready to leave the city for this this is the final day. This is the day before Jesus is going to come back and be arrested and crucified. And chapter 13, verse 1 says, And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, look, teacher. And they point back here. They're going out to the east, and they, they look back, and this uh, the temple is just absolutely stunning. They say, I've read that it was considered to be the most beautiful building in ancient times, that it was more beautiful than the Parthenon or any of the other buildings. It was totally covered. It was gold-plated. And they said that especially in the morning, 
if you're on the eastern side, and when the sun rises, so the, the brightness of it will be so brilliant you couldn't even look at it. But now this is in the evening, and the sun is behind it, and, uh, and the disciples said, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. I mean, it was an amazing building. And by the way, if you go to Israel, they'll take you down under the temple mount, and they can show you some of the stones I mean, they were huge, 60-ton stones. It's still a, a marvel how they ever got them in place. And this temple, with all those massive stones, was, uh, was there. And the disciples said, man, just look at these beautiful buildings. Can you ever see anything like that? And Jesus said to them, you see these buildings, these great uh, buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And this just must have shocked the disciples beyond words. So, what, what do you mean? The, the temple is going to be destroyed? The temple is going to be torn down? And all these stones are going to be thrown down? They could hardly believe it. By the way, it did happen. Just 40 years later, the Roman general Titus marched his soldiers into the city of Jerusalem, killed 1.1 million Jews. They said the blood in the streets was like rivers, that blood was flowing in the streets of Jerusalem. Ancient writers tell us about it. The Bible doesn't tell us about it, but ancient writers who lived during that time tell us what happened. And they pry bars of some kind and they pulled every stone down and cast it aside so it happened so as he sat on the mount of olives that's the over on the eastern side of the temple peter and james and john and andrew came to jesus and asked him privately tell us when will these things be and and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. They, like us, the question when I talk about the second coming of Jesus, the question everybody wants to know is when. When's it going to happen? And uh, so that's what they were asking. But Jesus is talking about two things here. He's talking about the destruction of the temple, which he's just referenced, and then he's talking about his return to establish his kingdom. And he said, and Jesus began to say to them, See that no man leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, I'm the Messiah. And they will lead many astray. By the way, has that happened in our day? My goodness. I remember I I was, I don't remember how long ago it was now when uh, Jim Jones led that group of people down to Guyana and uh, over a thousand committed suicide at his direction. They believed he was the Messiah. He believed he was the Messiah. By the way, I've met, I've met people who thought they were the Messiah. I used to work in a mental hospital, and about one out of every ten patients there thought they were Jesus. And they needed to be locked up. And uh, he said, see to it that, that nobody deceives you because many will come, and they'll come claiming that they're the Messiah. And, and they'll lead many astray. That certainly has happened. 
And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet. A lot of times your people say, well, uh, all these wars breaking out must be the end of the time. No, it's not. He said the end is not yet. And then for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. And these are just the beginning of the birth pains. And uh, I know that all of you ladies that have had a baby, you know that there is a point at which you begin to feel the first contractions. And generally that means that you've got a little time. For some women it doesn't mean that they have much time, but, but for some, as they begin to feel these birth pains, they know it's time to get to the hospital. And then those pains increase, and they increase and increase and increase until it's time for the baby to be born. And then there is a kind of a convulsive moment in which the child is born. I know that's not encouraging you too much, uh, but uh, you've already been through it, so you know, okay? But, uh, and Jesus said, that's what it is. When, you, when, when all this social, political, international upheaval is taking place, nations against nations and, and uh, the wars and rumors of wars, uh, famines and earthquakes, just know that that's the beginning of the pains. This must take place. He said, uh, but the end is not yet. For na- oh, I read that there will be earthquakes and famines. And then these are but the beginning of birth pains. But be on guard, for they will deliver you. Now he's talking to his disciples, but also I think to us, centuries later, they will deliver you over to councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Now this all happened to those early disciples that he was talking to. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, all Gentile nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I've read testimonies of people in Fox's Book of Martyrs and things like that, where people said that's exactly what happened to them. When they would be brought to stand before a tribunal of some kind, they didn't know what they were going to say, but it would be given to them what to say, and they would speak what the Spirit of God put in their heart. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and the children will rise against parents and even have them put to death. But you And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end, will be saved or will actually demonstrate that he is saved. Now, in this passage, he's not even talking about the second coming of Jesus. This is talking about a period of time between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the time when the end does come. We'll talk more about that uh, in next Sunday's message. But he says during this period of time, many things are going to happen. There's going to be an increase in the earth. Uh, uh, 
shaking and and famines and wars and my goodness, there have been so many wars. You know that last century, the twentieth century, was the bloodiest century in the history of the world. Millions, hundreds of millions of people died in wars. And it's amazing that that uh and, and then earthquakes. They said that I read this last week, I, I want to verify, but it said over a hundred earthquake tremors happen every day somewhere around the world. And then some of them, of course, are massive enough to cause damage, and then some of them are massive enough to cause severe destruction. But he said all these things, during this period of time, he said there will be... Uh, he talked about destruction, destruction of the temple, and that has already happened. And then he talks about uh, a time of, of deception where there'd be those who would come and try to turn people away from the truth that is in Jesus. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about how that sometimes some prophet will arise and he's got some new revelation. Man, everybody loves to hear something new and exciting. Uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, if it's new, it's not true. Because the truth is already established. We know what's true. And when somebody comes up and says, well, God has given me a revelation that nobody else has ever had before, you just kind of say, well, bless your heart and uh, leave him alone. Sooner or later, he'll probably end up in that mental hospital I was talking about a while ago, or, or maybe should. And uh, so there's, there's destruction, and then there is this uh, sense of deception. And boy... Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He has been a liar from the beginning. It was through the lie that he led Adam and Eve to sin, and it's through the lie that he tries to to lead us to sin. But on a a world scale, the, the main lie he tells is lies about Jesus and lies about himself. And, uh, and then... Not only will there be a destruction and deception, then there will just be a devastation. He says that uh, the whole world is going to suffer and tremble and shake like a woman about to give birth. But he said the end is not yet. That's not the end. That's just preparation for it. But he said you see these things happen, and, and then there will be distress in the sense that the world will turn against Christ and turn against Christians. And I, I just I just know that uh, Christians are becoming more and more and more the hated group. As a matter of fact, you can say almost anything ugly about Christians and get away with it. But if you say something ugly about uh gays or lesbians, if you say something ugly about almost any other group, transgenders or whatever, you'll be labeled as a hater. But people can say all they want to about Christians and about Christ, and the world applauds them. And I I pray for revival. I really do. I pray that uh, that, that can be reversed, and it could be. I'm not saying that we're in the exact end days, but again, we could be. 
Because certainly uh, uh, all of this we're seeing take place right around us today. Uh, earthquakes, famines, hating Christ, hating Christ's people. And uh, I just want to mention something and, and might take this with a grain of salt. I, I could be wrong on this. But it would not surprise me to see the Antichrist arise out of the Islamic world, Islamic faith. I used to believe and have for years that the Antichrist would arise out of the revived Roman Empire. And that seems like that's a possibility. But do you know that the Roman Empire today, that territory that was the Roman Empire, is 60% Muslim today. And it's rapidly becoming more and more so. Europe is falling to Islam. And there will, could very well be a time when almost all of Europe is under Islamic rule. And Islam has an eschatology too. They believe that, now they don't believe that Muhammad is coming back because they know he's dead and buried. But they believe that Allah is going to raise up the Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I. Sometimes he's called the 12th Imam. And that he will be the one who establishes the worldwide caliphate. And that he will be the one that brings Islamic rule to the whole world. But they also teach in their eschatology that not only is the 12th Imam coming to power, but that Jesus is going to come back. They do believe that Jesus ascended to heaven. They don't believe he died for our sins. They don't believe he even died on the cross. But they do believe that he was taken up to heaven. And they believe that Jesus is going to come back, but he's not coming back to do what the Bible says he's coming back to do. He's coming back to announce that he was not the Messiah. He's coming back to convince all Christians that they've been wrong over all these times. They believe that he's coming back to actually discover some hidden scrolls that will say that the New Testament writings were all false. Now, you can just read uh, in the Quran. I don't encourage you to read the Quran, but, but in the Quran and in the Sunnahs, they teach this. And then they also teach that a third person is coming, the Dajjal, and that he will, uh, they believe Jesus is coming back on the wings of two angels, by the way, and they believe that the Dajjal is coming and that he is the Antichrist. But if you read what they teach, the one they call the Antichrist is really Christ. And they they believe that Jesus, their Jesus, who's not anything like our Jesus, is going to kill the Dajjal. And then Jesus is going to get married, and he's going to live a full life, and then he's going to die and be buried next to Muhammad. 
That's just weird, isn't it? But you talk to especially a Shia, Shiite Muslim, they believe this very strongly. And they believe that the, the, the 12th Imam is going to raise up an army of millions of people who will march under a black flag. And on that black flag will be written just one word, the Arabic word punishment, punishment. And that this army will go throughout the world and those who refuse to convert to Islam will be put to death. And they're not bashful about teaching this. They, they, it's, it's as much a part of their teaching as our second coming of Jesus is to our teaching. And so you can see how that if the Antichrist is Islamic, They've already demonstrated in many, many places in the world that they will kill Jews and Christians and anybody else who refuses to acknowledge Allah as the true God and Muhammad as his prophet. And if that's the case, I mean, you know, the Roman Empire, when you read the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, it gives a list of the seven or eight nations that will join together to fight against Israel, all eight of those nations are Muslim nations today. It's just amazing. And uh, But what Jesus is saying is that all of this, this destruction of the temple, this deception by false teachers, this devastation brought about through natural, the earth shaking, and the distress in which believers will be forced to either recant their faith or face execution. He said all of those things are in preparation for the return of Christ and the establishing of the kingdom of God. And the and, and we're seeing all those things. We've seen all those things happen and are happening now, right? See that? So what then will trigger what we think of as the last days of the last days? We are in the last days right now. The last days started when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back to the Father and the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. That was the beginning of the last days. But we are now, I believe, in the last days of the last days. And he's going to tell us that something is going to happen in Israel that will start the clock ticking again. And by the way, Dr. Harry Ironside, who pastored at Moody Bible Church back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, he said, when the Bible says that Israel will be a nation, then Israel must become a nation again. And he said, I don't know how it's possible because they don't have a homeland. They don't have a, a temple. But if the Bible says Israel will be a nation again, then it has to happen. And he was mocked unbelievably. 
He was laughed at, ridiculed, and I've read articles that were written about him questioning his sanity. But he said, look, all I'm saying is that if the Bible says that in the last days Israel will play a part, there has to be an Israel someday. And I want you to know, in a week and a half, Israel, national Israel, will be celebrating its 70th birthday. Who would have ever believed, even in 1920, 1930, who would have ever believed that Israel would be a nation again? And Israel is the key to a lot of this. And that's why Jesus is talking about what happens in Jerusalem. And he talks about, in the next few verses, a beginning of the end. All right. Well, I want to ask if there are any questions, but I can't because we need to go. But, uh, by the way, if you have some questions that you would like for us to try to deal with, write them down on a piece of paper and put them in the offering plate. And uh, if you have a specific question, I know this has just been very general today, but uh, beginning next week, we'll be looking at predictions and prophecies. And by the way, Jesus taught a lot about the end. So what does that mean for us today? Well, it means that we want to be ready when he does come. As you read through this passage, all of chapter 13, he says, be alert, be on guard, watch. He says it over and over and over again. And that's the message to us today. Be ready, be ready, be ready. If Jesus were to come today to catch his church away, are you ready? Are you ready? You say, well, I'm not sure. How do I get ready? You put your trust in him. You trust Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, we don't understand everything that you've told us about the end times. And there are wonderful, godly people who have differences of opinion about some things. But we're absolutely certain of one thing. And you taught us that Jesus is coming back. And that, uh, that we need to be ready. We need to wake up out of our sleep and slumber. We need to, if we are not saved, we need to get saved. And if we are saved, we need to be telling other people how to be saved. And I pray that you will help us because we have this hope in us to uh, purify our own hearts and to be faithful witnesses. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.